This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Later, we're going to be hearing from U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on the federal response to COVID-19, including help for businesses and hospitals. That's coming later. But first, Kentucky's Interim Education Commissioner Kevin Brown is with us. Brown is an attorney who has long worked in education and who was selected to run the Department of Education while the search continues for a permanent commissioner. But Brown could never have imagined that he would be leading Kentucky schools during such a historic time and having to make decisions that have impacted every student and teacher in the Commonwealth. The coronavirus pandemic forced schools to close to in classroom instruction. It also meant the sudden end of athletic seasons, no proms, the cancellation of school trips and graduations. And yet schools and students have made the best of the adversity. Interim Education Commissioner Kevin Brown joining us remotely today and we want to thank him very much for taking time to be with us. Uh, thanks for uh, being on with us, Commissioner. As we said, uh, you know, there Thank is... Thank you for having us. There is no way that you could have imagined a, a time like this when you agreed that, uh, you know, you would run the State Department of Education for a few months, as you did before, uh, uh, back in uh, uh, 2015 or so. Uh, what have these recent weeks been like in terms of decisions that have had to be made knowing they're historic in the middle of this pandemic? Uh, I must say, and, and to be honest, it's been very stressful. At the same time, uh, we're very blessed in Kentucky to have an amazing, I call it the education, the K-12 education family. Uh, and of course, as a Kentucky, and I believe we do it better than anyone, any other state in the country. And I'm not talking necessarily about us or me, or, uh, but I'm talking about our folks on the ground in our school districts, our superintendents, our teachers, support staff. From day one, they've been amazing. They've, they have responded. They've done everything we've asked them to do. Uh, and then also we have a great team uh, assembled at the Department of Education, a lot of long-serving uh, members that are uh, employees that have been there numerous years, uh, some of them over 20 years, just dedicated to uh, public education. And then the communication between the governor's office, public health, the Department of Education has been great. And so that's really uh, assisted me in doing this. And I, I like to say all the hard work, of course, is occurring on the front lines, uh, feeding kids, educating kids. And uh, we've, you've heard the governor say, and we've said it a lot, that uh, buildings or school buildings are closed, but schools have still been open. And that's been an amazing story. And it will be, a, I think, a very, as history uh, writes this period, uh, will show some amazing things that happened. You know, some schools were ready for non-traditional instruction or NTI, and some had to quickly set up for it and to submit some plans to you and, and, and get their plan in place. Scott County Superintendent Kevin Hubb has readily acknowledged that it is not as good as uh, in-class instruction. Fayette County pulled back on assignments because uh, the leaders there thought it was causing too much stress for students and teachers and parents for that matter. Uh, do you agree this has been a, a tremendous challenge to finish this year up online? It has been a challenge. It, it, it is exhausting on everyone involved, uh, students, teachers, families, families and parents trying to uh, also be on the front lines in their various uh, 
work and nurses and uh, and uh, folks that are farming and doing other things, but also trying to come in and help their students with activities. It's a different kind of learning. Uh, there are things we can't do with NTI, obviously, that we can do in a normal school day when we have students sitting there. On the other hand, it does help us reduce education loss. And we have a 93% student participation rate right now on the NTI program as it has existed since around March 16th. And we get that data from uh, student or teachers that submit the data to the department, and that's showing that they've had contact with 93% of their students uh, using technology or packets on a daily basis. Now that's not, we want that to be 100%, but 93% uh, in this type of an unprecedented time is, is very good. And uh, my hat is off to the school principals and teachers that are making that happen. Well, given what has happened, do you think these students uh, will be at uh, some disadvantage going forward, or is it uh, in some way, uh, strangely, an advantage that they have had to innovate and, uh, and they've learned something about uh, the sacrifice that has been needed to uh, be made uh, in this situation? I think it's going to be a little bit of both. Uh, a disengaged student uh, in, a, in a traditional classroom on a normal day is likely to be a disengaged student uh, on in, in, using non-traditional instruction. However, however, we also know that teachers are reaching out to students in a way that they may not have done uh, in a, on a traditional class day. They're calling students, they're calling parents, they're using email, they're using various education platforms uh, to reach out to students. So there could be some cases where we're actually having some more, more contact with a, a student. And we've heard some you know, anecdotal stories about how teachers and staff that are so eager to uh, communicate with parents that, that some parents were being overloaded by all the calls from their school and so schools have learned how to uh, better manage that. That's a, that was a nice problem to have though. It just shows you the effort uh, that's going into it. And I also think you can just look on social media and spend five minutes and you can see some of the creative things that are happening. Uh, students are working together in teams using the Google Meets or Microsoft Teams to meet with each other as they might do uh, or talk to each other in the cafeteria on a normal day and they're producing videos and working on projects and so it's it, there are some success stories with it as well. You know this NTI was uh, somewhat experimental uh, considered to be a pilot program by uh, some of the uh, counties and, uh, and, and independent districts that uh, tried it out but does this show uh, that it has a a real role going forward and that uh, Kentucky at least needs to have this as a backup uh, in an unforeseen circumstance. Absolutely, Bill. Uh, and as you mentioned a few minutes ago, we only had 83 of our districts, which that's a significant number, not quite half, but 83 of our districts are on um, around March 1st were uh, non-traditional instruction districts that were using that on a traditional snow day or flu day, which now sounds very quaint. Uh, and then almost overnight, uh, by around March 20th, we had all 172 school districts uh, approved to use non-traditional instruction. And then also, many of those districts had not participated in the summer feeding program. And the, the summer feeding program, even though it's not summer, that's the federal program we're using right now to feed kids. Mm -hmm. And all districts in some form or fashion are now feeding kids. So you had some districts who had never uh, participated in non-traditional instruction. 
never participated in summer feeding, and within two to three days, they were educating kids using NTI, and they were feeding kids. So we have 2,000 feeding sites around the state uh, that are staffed by uh, public school districts, and I received some information a few days ago. We have statistics on that. Uh, we've fed uh, 4.6 meals in the month of March uh, to 230,000 students. It's amazing. Commissioner Brown, you know, uh, uh, some parts of the school experience cannot be reclaimed. The, the trips, the proms, the athletic seasons, uh, the traditional graduation. Do you have empathy for those students who have uh, missed out on some of those uh, memorable moments? We do. This is. Uh, we knew that this day might come. The governor, as you all, everyone knows, is using data to to inform these decisions and recommendations. And so we were informing and meeting with school superintendents on a two to three week uh, period every two to three weeks to inform them. And there was a glimmer of hope as recently as two weeks ago when the governor met with superintendents to say that there was a possibility to return to in-person classes. And I think that was true at that time. There was a hope. But when you start looking at the various phases uh, that the White House wants states to use, which we're using the phases of reopening, when you lay that over a school calendar, there's just no way that we could have an in-person graduation or prom or other activities activities and it's heartbreaking and so of course that was part of the governor's uh, communication to school districts this week that we had to come to that decision and and then uh, we needed that decision now so we could start planning but we're already seeing some innovative ideas about how schools could do uh, drive in or drive through or drive up I've heard it described various ways uh, graduation ceremony similar to how our churches or many churches are having those types of events on Sundays but using the the social distancing and the rules and protocols put in place by Department of Public health um, and so it's going to be hard it's going to be difficult uh, for the students that are looking forward to this and I have a student advisory group uh, I met with that advisory group uh, that was the first advisory group I met with not that the other advisories are uh, less important but I wanted to hear from students uh, uh, when this first started and you know it's they were uh, they were sad about graduation and prom a possibility being canceled but they were also sad about some of the smaller events that you would not think about being dis uh, causing disappointment such as going back to their elementary and middle school which is a tradition in some school districts to walk the halls and talk to the teachers uh, before they graduate senior uh, some classes have senior breakfasts uh, they are they are actually uh, mourning the loss of those types of events but we're encouraging districts to be as creative as possible um, and uh, using virtual technology. I know that the uh, Lieutenant Governor and I are talking about is there some kind of a way that on a statewide basis we can honor uh, our class of 2020 in some way and we're, we're discussing if that's feasible. You know I just get a feeling that they're going to be welcome in those uh, elementary schools and other places that they go uh, for the, the sacrifice that they've given and what they've done. Uh, this year uh, going forward. Uh, you have said uh, that uh, you are not, Mr. Brown, a, a candidate for the job of education commissioner permanently. You have uh, stepped in. I'm sure that the, you, the role may take longer now uh, because of the, the events than uh, you previously had anticipated. Uh, given your experience and given this situation that we've now been through, uh, do you continue to take that stance? You do not want this job permanently and what do you think the next commissioner needs to have in terms of qualities? 
That is true, uh, Bill. I'm not a candidate. And actually, when uh, Chair David Karam called me to ask to see if I would be interested in being the interim commissioner again, I said I would do it on two, uh, if, if under two uh, conditions. One, you would have to announce publicly that I would not be considered a candidate for the permanent position. And then two, it would need to be through an MOA through Jefferson County Schools. I'm on leave through that MOA as their general counsel. I left the Department of Education in 2018 to be their general counsel, and so they agreed to that. And my personal opinion is I think it's important when individuals are filling interim positions that they focus on being the interim. And I did not want to be distracted about having to apply or uh, run for another position. And I, that, I, that's proved to be a, a wise decision because I needed all the attention from the interim right now needs to be on this. And uh, we have a motto at the department that we started using in mid-March that our, we're focusing our efforts on educating, feeding, and supporting school districts so they can do the same for students. And so I think that's important. Uh, Kentucky has had a history of doing a national search for commissioners of education. Uh, we've had some very talented candidates and, and commissioners over the years, and that's exactly what this board is doing. The search is now underway. You'll be seeing some announcements from the search firm here in a few days with the actual announcement of the position and the characteristics and qualifications. And, um, and while it's not legally a requirement that the commissioner have classroom experience, I think that's an important part of a, of a commissioner, uh, my personal opinion again. But, and I don't have classroom experience other than being in a classroom as we all have for uh, all those years. But, uh, so I'm glad to serve in this capacity. And um, uh, Kentucky has a, a national reputation. If you go to any meetings uh, around the country with other states, uh, Kentucky still is seen as a leader in e education and innovation and reform. And so uh, I think we're going to have a very uh, a long list of folks that will apply or be nominated to be commissioner from inside Kentucky, but also uh, around the country. And that, that says a lot about Kentucky. So you think it will be an attractive job uh, for, for somebody uh, to come and take that position. Thank you so much uh, for being with us, uh, Commissioner uh, Kevin Brown, who is uh, serving as the Interim Commissioner of Kentucky Education right now at this uh, very historic time. Again, uh, could never have imagined that we would uh, have to be in the situation we're in, but we do appreciate you taking some time to be with us. And we hope you'll stay with us on Kentucky Newsmakers. We're going to be catching up with U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell, a call from Washington, and that is ahead on Kentucky Newsmakers. And welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. The federal government has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic with a stimulus package and some other aid. And I had a chance to talk with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky about what he is hoping to see next. All right, U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Kentucky's longest serving senator ever, is joining us on the phone. We really appreciate that. I know it's a very busy time in Washington. Senator, uh, first, a little perspective. You've seen a lot in uh, about 36 years there in the Senate uh, in Washington. Uh, is this the, the biggest challenge that uh, you think America has faced in your uh, long tenure there? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the impact of this is much more widespread than uh, the impact after 9-11 or after the financial meltdown uh, in 2008. And the way forward is uh, a little more than murky because of our inability so far to have uh, adequate testing so we can be uh, certain that people are not going to be 
exposed to somebody next to them who may be asymptomatic but still carry the virus. Uh, we don't yet have a proven treatment, and we don't yet have a vaccine. But having said all that, as the governor in our state indicated yesterday, it looks to me like in most states we've either plateaued or we're beginning to uh, head in the other direction. And at this level of government, what we've been doing is borrowing a lot of money. Yeah. yeah, we passed another bill yesterday about yep. uh, five hundred billion dollars. Give us some details about that. I know that uh, you know it. It uh, deals mainly with this phase, with small businesses, and uh, also uh, with hospitals. So tell us what that bill does that uh, that made its way through the Senate. Well, about twelve days ago, the, the popular small business program ran out of money, and I've been trying to get cleared in the Senate a plus up of that. Uh, finally, yesterday we were able to move that a bill with over $300 billion to plus up the small business uh, plan that um, was in great demand. <clears throat> These are basically forgivable loans provided you hold on to your, your employees. Uh, also, the hospitals are desperate. <clears throat> and we provided another $75 billion for hospitals. We had done roughly 100 in the first bill, the $2.2 trillion bill that we did several weeks ago and uh, $25 billion for testing. What does that mean to Kentucky hospitals? I've been talking to hospital administrators all over the state. Uh, some are, uh, have significant uh, COVID-19 cases. Some of them have almost none. Uh, and the biggest problem the hospitals have at the moment is they can't do elective surgery. So I would urge the governor, uh, this is a governor decision, uh, both to open the economy and to allow elective surgery, I'd urge the governor to take a look at ending the ban on uh, elective surgery because that's where the hospitals make money. They don't make any money off of Medicare and Medicaid, and they're all bleeding. And so there are two things that need to happen. Number one, we send additional money, which we've done again yesterday. And number two, they need to be able to, to engage in elective surgery. Again, that's a state decision. Opening the economy is also a state decision. I know the governor is looking toward beginning that process, and uh, hopefully he'll take a look at the regions of Kentucky that are less impacted and begin to, to let them uh, begin to open up. I would say this cautionary, though, Bill. Yeah. Uh, as we open up, people need to, to uh, as they've listened to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, uh, practice social distancing and don't uh, be stigmatized by, by wearing a mask. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're sick. It means you're concerned about others. And uh, so we need to change our habits here for the, for the short term, even as the economy opens up. Senator, uh, you know, states are at tremendous cost for unemployment. Uh, we know that uh, there, there will be requests for federal aid there. We know that our city and county governments also face a huge budget deficits right now. Uh, many are indicating to us that they uh, are going to be requesting uh, federal aid. Will more be forthcoming? Do you think, uh, you know, there will be uh, a need that there be more stimulus from Washington? Yeah, here's, here's my view of, of additional assistance to states and local governments. We, we've now borrowed $2.7 trillion in a little over a month. Uh, I don't think we should take the next step until we've 
taking a look at the impact of this on the country's future. And number two, uh, I'm not interested in borrowing money from future generations uh, to solve state pension problems that they've created for themselves over the years as one example. So I think whatever additional assistance we provide to state and local governments, if and when we do, ought to clearly be related to the coronavirus issue. In other words, we're not going to borrow uh, for future generations to solve problems that pre-existed the pandemic that were not solved by various state and local governments across America. There was uh, money in the original uh, bill uh, for uh, to help universities and their students. And I know you are a graduate of both uh, UK and U of L. Uh, and both of those this week have announced uh, major, major shortfalls uh, in the tens of millions of dollars uh, going forward. Uh, do you think that the federal government has uh, has done enough to to assist these uh, these public universities that are also in many cases uh, research facilities, and in the case of regional universities, very important to uh, their areas of the state? Yeah, I don't know whether we've done enough or not, but already $156 million, uh, $17 million for UK, $10 million for Eastern, hundreds of thousands for Center and Transylvania, and that's to, to, to be emergency aid to be used by the students. Uh, so, yes, there is money previously appropriated to try to help the students as well and the universities uh, try to make it through this pandemic. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, nobody knows how long this is going to take. Nobody knows if there may be a second wave. Nobody knows, uh, you know, uh, if we can get back to having crowds at events uh, by the time uh, late summer and fall comes around. But how will we know? Uh, Senator, from your vantage point, that we are making progress uh, in both uh, dealing with COVID-19 and in restoring our economy. I think the $25 billion that we passed in the Senate yesterday for testing, testing is the key to getting back to normal. Uh, we're going to have to test a significant number of people all across America. Or, Bill, just a governor deciding the economy is open doesn't mean people are going to re-engage in the economy if they're fearful. Right. So I think we have to, uh, to get a handle on testing. Hopefully in the short term here we'll be able to come up with a treatment. Some of the treatments that are being experimented with seem to work. Uh, a vaccine we think is going to take a little longer. But testing in the short term I think is how you reassure people I can go back to work because we've all been tested, for example, and I know the person next to me is not uh, uh, a carrier. And so we were basically doing testing on kind of a Manhattan Project basis. In other words, all in on testing with the 25 billion that cleared the Senate yesterday and will clear the House tomorrow. Well, it's, uh, it has come at us fast, and uh, I know uh, that we're all uh, dealing with it uh, in uh, many ways and uh, in, uh, from uh, whatever uh, perspective or role we play in society. Thank you so much, uh, Senator McConnell, for joining us. Uh, let me, one other quick thing. You are uh, subject to election this year, the May primary, and, uh, and you're hoping to get through that and uh, be the Republican nominee for November. Uh, are you uh, comfortable with uh, Kentucky holding a primary election on June 23rd in a traditional Way. Yeah, I think so. I think the Secretary of State and the uh, Governor, I'm told, have worked out a way to where 
uh, more people can vote by absentee by using apparently the rationale of the uh, coronavirus. I think that's fine. Uh, that'll still be a conventional election, and uh, those decisions need to be made at the state level, and I'm comfortable with the decision Secretary of State Mike Adams might make about that. Senator McConnell, thank you for being with us. And stay with us on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Our national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, will look back at this historic week when we come right back. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. President Trump makes some temporary changes to immigration policy to fight COVID-19. And our national political analyst takes a look. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. The coronavirus continues to have the nation in a giant state of pause, but some states slowly beginning to open. Fingers crossed it's the right plan for the right time. Plus, President Trump signing an executive order, a 60-day freeze on new green cards. The president's executive order does not impact guest workers. He's leaving that alone after an uproar from business groups. The president arguing his immigration executive order protects American jobs hard hit by the pandemic. Democrats, not agreeing, calling the move a distraction and one that reignites the president's base a few months before Election Day. Meanwhile, the U.S. deporting migrants with COVID-19 back to Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean. According to the Washington Post, at least 50 deportees in Guatemala tested positive. Now, that makes up roughly 15 percent of the country's confirmed cases. Mexico is asking the U.S. to test deportees before transporting them. The U.S. not complying. ICE says migrants are screened and detainees with a fever are referred to a medical provider. But as you know, you can be asymptomatic and still carry the virus. Now an update in testing. For the first time, the FDA authorizing at-home coronavirus tests, specifically those tests made by LabCorp. The FDA commissioner says these kits are safe, accurate, and could boost testing rates. The general public will eventually have access to an online survey. Participants with symptoms meeting FDA guidelines will buy a test, swab their noses, and mail the kits back. Healthcare and emergency workers, they will get first dibs. In the coming weeks, the kits will be available to consumers. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sunday. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And a reminder, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. And that is Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you this week on WKYT This Morning. We hope you make it a good week ahead. <laughs>